I was in New York and I was prepping Max uh, X and uh, it was probably six weeks into my prep, it was around the middle of October, and he sent me a text message and he said he had, had an idea for a prequel. And uh, he, from, we FaceTimed that evening and he shared with me what he was thinking and that he wanted me to help him write the script. and. He, it was incredibly exciting to me and you know it was always a big maybe there was always a, a strong chance that A24 weren't going to 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 agree to it but we we thought to ourselves that at the very least it would serve as an amazing backstory to older Pearl. Originally we wanted it to be a black and white film and we were just thinking from a purely uh, practical point of uh, point of view uh, you know a black and white film was cheaper we were just trying to incentivize a24 as much as possible to to just let us make it um, but they weren't so keen on that he, they had quite a few other black and white films out at the time and so we thought okay well let's just go to the complete opposite end and make it completely uh, you know, technicolor uh, uh, kind of this demented Disney's uh, sort of movie and it actually all worked out for the best because I don't think uh, uh, the film would be anywhere near as good as it is had it been in black and white. <laughs> Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Hi. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. Welcome back, guys. Woo. Hello. Two of us had a vacation last week. Two of us were still here. We got an episode in. Did you guys see that? We got an episode in? Yeah, I, I had, did. I had some in. questions this morning when I yeah, saw that was posted. Me too. Oh. I thought we were taking right. the week off. Let's talk Shoot. it out. Yeah. Let's. What's the quest first question? Why, uh, how, one, how dare you? Uh, two, uh, okay. I couldn't bear no question. the thought of, I thought, well, at first I was like, all right, fine. We'll just take the week off. It seems like a good time for you it. You seemed enthused to have a week off. I, I thought, I, I didn't think I was like dimming the candle. Well, I've never seen you respond to a text message as fast as you responded to Dave saying he, he couldn't make it. Dave was in L.A., it wasn't and that Dave fast. Said, Guys, I, I guess I'm I'm not going to be able to make tonight. And then the fastest I've ever that's seen. Not, that's not incorrect. Smith right in there. Uh, if we want to cancel this week, that's totally fine with me. I mean, we could talk next week. I'd kind of like to get these <laughs> takes. Uh, if you might have a vacation. <laughs> so Bye. fast. I mean, I've waited for days for a response from Kat before. Incorrect. I should have. I should have just, if you just put the word cancel in there, she'll Stop. get right back to you. How dare you. Anyway. So I was like, fine, we could use a little break post-Halloween, post-busy season. We've been straight out. It's been but, straight. But then I couldn't, I, I just was like, Argh. I bet if I call Kevin right now, uh, we could probably do a quick one. We'll watch two movies, I don't care what they are, and we'll just get a quick one in, and we won't miss the week. Well, I saw that you, the thing that I was uh, lamenting about was that you would watch so many movies last week. Mm. You're getting into right well, post busy season. You are hitting well, it hard. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you watched all, like seven movies with I the know. two that. Well, I was also trying to kill time a little bit. So I, I didn't watch all those movies necessarily in that week, but recent, they had been recent watches and you guys weren't here. So I was, I was just trying to kind of open it up a little more than usual and just talk about some stuff that I would normally talk about if I didn't have to yield so much mic time. So not to go back <laughs> over it. But you are <laughs> underwhelmed by Megalomaniac. Did you watch that? No, I didn't, but I heard it, a lot about it. I was looking yeah, forward to it. it, it it's okay. It's fine. It's not great. It's not your new um it's not your new French extremity movie. It's not uh I, I was hoping it would be along the the lines of uh Calvair or even Alleluia. It, it's not quite that. And I was surprised that you liked dolls. Yeah. And I was also surprised that uh, you guys didn't like Influencer. I liked Influencer. Yeah, I, I've been meaning to ask you. You liked. I, I theorized that you fell asleep and didn't really pay attention to it, and you were just saying it was fine. Well, sometimes there <laughs> we go. Maybe, but sometimes if cinematically a movie's good and I am following along with the characters, and it's just right. an enjoyable watch right. at the time. Right. We always find that you know on subsequent watches, right. sometimes these movies don't hold up. Maybe yeah. you're just in a mood and you're just watching something. Sometimes yeah. you're just watching it. If you're not watching it for the pod, sometimes maybe you're just enjoying film. God forbid. You know? By the time this airs, 
Thanksgiving will be out, the new feature mm. film from mm. Eli Roth based on the 2007 trailer, <laughs> the fake trailer in Grindhouse. We're really knocking those out. We just talked about Hobo with a Shotgun, which started as the Canadian one of the Canadian version trailers in Grindhouse. We're going to talk about Death Proof this week, and I'm really excited about Thanksgiving. I've, I've seen, I haven't read any reviews, but I've seen some review headlines that sound very positive. Mm. So, Yeah. We'll see. Uh, I'll go see it. Well, I, I know you'll go see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely will too. I'm looking forward to it. Eli Roth is either hit or miss for me. Yeah, it's agreed. either I totally forgive everything and he and he had flicked that little switch, just made everything accepted, or it's just like. Cat, is there a title this week or a theme? Good for her. It was the good for her week. Yeah, yeah. All right. Nice. This week, woo. good for her. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> We're going to start with the aforementioned 2007 film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino called Death Proof. Stuntman Mike likes to take unsuspecting women for deadly drives in his free time. 14 months after escaping charges in Austin, Texas, the grizzled Hollywood stunt double ditches his black, souped-up 1970 Chevy Nova SS and finds himself in Lebanon, Tennessee, to pick up where he left off. This time, three young women, Abernathy, Zoe, and Kim, have caught the eye of the maniacal misogynist, who has decided to play a thrilling but dangerous cat-and-mouse game. But in this high-octane chase, there can only be one winner, and the girls are not willing to go down without a fight. Is stuntman Mike's reinforced 1969 Dodge Charger truly death-proof? Wow. You know, I like to take every Tarantino film with a grain of salt... Uh, because sometimes they can be a bit much, I would say. Overacted, over-the-top, uh, ranting-esque dialogue, sometimes racism, you know. And there's always so many shots of feet. It seemed like in this movie there was a, 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 f- a shot of a sexy woman's foot. Endless. Every, f- every scene. Constant. It's just like in the background, in the foreground, just right in the center, just somewhere, everywhere. In Maybe someone's licking them. I don't know. There's always someone licking a foot. This one, however, I thought was very fun. Obviously, there's a fair share of misogynistic characters and dialogue, but you do get a whole slew of female characters who are interesting in their own ways. And this is funny because it tricks you into thinking who the final girls really are, which I thought was a fun take, Hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. right off the bat. You go through a lot of character interaction and description just for you to be like, oh, okay, heard. And then the oh shit parts that you uh, kind of got into were my favorite parts. They were the best ones. The gore in this one was interesting because it wasn't like the gore I feel like we usually see with like the stabbing or the macheteing or or whatever's going on, but it was from a car just annihilating people in the best way, just taking limbs, faces, what have you. I did choose this one for the installment of Good For Her Week because once we get to the second cast of characters, we are met with a group of women who shan't, you know, go down without a fight. They're all very badass, way tougher than I'll ever be. Even when Stuntman Mike leaves them, they're like, nah. And then they go after him and they gun him down. And then he turns into a little bitch. And uh, I loved that part when he's just like, ow, ow, my arm, I broke my arm. And they're like, "Mm mm-hmm. After you just watched him like annihilate 10 women probably. Um, You love to see it. I loved to see that. Uh, As far as Tarantino movies go, I would say this is probably one of my favorites. As far as gory race car stunt women movies go, I haven't seen that many, but I would say that this one would also be in the tops. So can't wait to hear what you guys thought. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, okay. So admittedly, I am not super well versed in grindhouse cinema as a whole. I don't know if I mentioned that when we did like Hobo with a Shotgun, but I've seen Planet Terror, Death Proof, the whole Grindhouse thing multiple times over the years. Definitely been a minute since I saw Death Proof. And I don't remember it being this fucking long. Yeah. But again, I'm I'm not... There's kind of two genres that Tarantino's playing with here. One, like just the old Grindhouse format. And then sort of like the the big 70s, like women in whatever subgenre that was happening. Like women in prison and... Uh, so I don't know enough about those to judge whether or not he did a good job in his throwback attempt for Grindhouse. What I will say is that 
for Tarantino movies, this is my least favorite. Oh. It has every single thing that Tarantino does well thrown out the window. And then some things that he does well and really pushes the envelope in his movies in terms of like timing and pacing, which he gets away with brilliantly in, in other films like Pulp Fiction. In this one, it's just like, holy fuck, when is this dialogue going to end? Oh, my God, it's when is lot. this scene going to end? Mm -hmm. And it's not made up for by the absolute brilliant scenes like when Kurt Russell gets Rose McGowan in his car and then he goes after that first group. of That is an unbelievable sequence. It's awesome. Yeah. The chase scene yeah. at the end with the final girls, awesome. It's super good. It, it is. That is what Taran, that's when Tarantino pushes the envelope of how long a scene should take and gets away with it because it's just really, really good. However, there is absolutely no chance I will ever sit through an hour and 53 minutes of this film ever again. <laughs> this is a fast forward. This is Dave's final destination, except uh, Tarantino is such a dick about his editing that you probably couldn't just skip the chapters and get to the good parts. You'd probably end up smack dab in the middle of a nine and a half minute monologue that it, it's just boring as fuck. And one of the things that I love about Tarantino is he's really good at taking characters that in a traditional movie that's going to go 90 minutes or two hours, he'll take a side character and really flesh them out and make them interesting, even if it's just for like three scenes. He does yeah. such a good job at that. This one, he takes care, like Kurt Russell as Stuntman Mike, completely underdeveloped. I could have used more Kurt Russell, and I'm sorry, Kat, you just mentioned that this is a, a, a relatively misogynistic movie for having so many strong female characters. I could have used more Kurt Russell. Mm -hmm. You have Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the second group of girls that is just left. Yeah. And co like a super fascinating character that in the second, I mean, this is really two movies, in the second movie, <laughs> She's like the first character you're introduced to. You're super interested in what her deal is. She seems kind of weak and like bubbly. Could have used some more of that. Like he just doesn't ever develop a character. I don't know. Uh, this this is a no for me, dog. I did not enjoy <laughs> Death Proof this week. I also think that Tarantino hits differently since he's kind of a pop icon after Pulp Fiction and everything. He created this world of Pulp Fiction where. It was completely ridiculous, but for some reason, we were all sold on it. We didn't know any of his intentions. There's, like, really polarizing racism in, like, a lot of his movies. And I find that later on in his career, I just kind of got tired of it. Like I was saying before, like, I think that, like, Make America Great Again should be his slogan because he always <laughs> dredges up all these, like, really ugly things. And after a while, it just becomes kind of a cheap trick. I did not like Death Proof. But I've recently, you know, while I wasn't here last week, I was in California, and Quentin Tarantino is so California. He's like the most California, and this movie reminded me of a hipster vintage thrift store that had, like, some new stuff in it and some old stuff. It reminded me of just old vintage aesthetic, like a pair of vintage roller skates next to roller blades in a window, <laughs> and... I thought it was way too too stylized. Uh, the effects, the grain, all that stuff got tiring. And Grindhouse movies sucked. Grindhouse movies were not good. When we bring up Grindhouse movies, they're these you know uh, anomalies. Every once in a while, you find like a gem, and it's fun to dig through this scene. But there was tons and tons of garbage because they were made on no budget. And then, you know, he has all the budget in the world. This is a high point of his career. And uh, one of the things I did see in California was his movie theater. I think it's called like the Centurion or something like that. Or maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, they were playing Messiah of Evil, which is a classic horror movie. Uh, and it was kind of cool to see that in like a big giant movie theater. But I went and mingled a little bit after the movie on my way home from the studio. Oh, t hey. Oh, Tell yeah, I should. I forgot to uh, mention. Right. So I'm going to get off topic a little bit here and I'll get back to the hipster. It's appropriate so. for this movie. It, <laughs> everything well, in this movie is off topic. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I fly into Los Angeles and I'm waiting for my rental car in this big long line. And I see this old friend of mine who uh, worked at Arista Records when I was on Arista Records and Tommy Boy Records when I was on Tommy Boy Records. We had a long business career together 
good friend, and I ran into him, and now he's a movie director. And he had a movie premiering in Los Angeles the next night called DOA, uh, starring John Doe uh, from the legendary punk band X. Um, and he gave me a ticket to go to the premiere. So I went to the premiere, and um, I met Meredith from The Office. Yes. Um, and th- that wasn't the coolest part. The coolest part was that while I was there standing with Meredith uh, at an after party, I was introduced to, I don't even remember <laughs> the lead woman's name. I'm, I'm very sorry about that, but her husband. They were like, this is Bill. I totally forgot her name because when they said, this is Bill, I looked and it was Bill Mosley, who's Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. My OG theater experience with my mom threw up everywhere from the <laughs> gore. And I told him this. I was like, hi, I fucking love you, man. <laughs> and like, he was not really like, not many people were paying attention to him. Out To me, I was like, like I just like met pushing Meredith out Justin of the way. Bieber, like, excuse like, me. You know, like, there was at one point, it was me and Meredith and Chop Top talking about Cemetery Man and a bunch of uh, Stuart Gordon horror movies from the 80s. And it was like, I was in heaven. The whole Hollywood experience, I saw the dude that scared me when I was 12. And I shook his hand and we had a conversation about horror movies. Felt like a very full circle moment. So shout out Bill Mosley, one of the horror greats of all time. It was such an honor. And I met all kinds of other people and worked with all kinds of other people. And I was just like, do you know that Bill Mosley's in this state? (laughs) And they're like, who? That was the most unexpected. That was your first text back. Yeah, was I did the most shit. unexpected thing was a, to get from from Dave in L.A. was a picture of him and Bill Mosley. <laughs> yeah, you were at a film screening with Bill Mosley? Uh, music stuff. The guy who played Frank from Donnie Darko was also hanging out with us. But I had to cool it on the pictures because, I mean, I got there and I was just like going crazy, taking pictures of everybody, uh, just going nuts for, for the B list, the C list, the D list, <laughs> like I, whatever you are, the, almost the more obscure it is, I'm more, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. grace to be in your presence. But um, yeah, I, I, the whole bad on purpose thing that this movie does, it does it too much. I think that it, it makes it rest on its laurels. We're like, oh, Grindhouse movies had mundane, stupid dialogue that wasn't really planned out, and then it cut abruptly. Like it did, but like. Those are the bad things. Like maybe you could improve on it. Maybe you could do something different with it. Even though it was crazy over the top stylized gore when it got to that. If anything, even though I like that, it took me out of it. It was no longer a grindhouse thing. And the cell phones took me out of it. And I don't know. I just did not like Death Proof. I, I found it very, very monotonous. And I think it's mostly the dialogue. Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Oh, man, this was a tough, tough one. You tough love slog. To see it. Oh, my that. God. I had never seen Death Proof because, honestly, it sounded lame to me at the time. Um, I, it just didn't look or sound like what I wanted, and I just never saw it. By far, my least favorite Quentin Tarantino movie I felt like I was at brunch with the most annoying, most boring, repetitive people ever. And I just have to sit there going, hmm, uh, oh, wow. Oh, my God, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> oh, wow. Re- really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say it again. Say it again. Mm-hmm. Say white Ford, whatever. What was the car? Say that again. again. 69, Say it again. I felt uh, like Samuel some... L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. The fake out cast, I, I didn't get it because I was enjoying, you know, as, as best I could. I was enjoying the movie mm-hmm. with the cast I had. And that went on for a really long time. And then it was just like, nope, that's not the cast of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different cast. Okay. Different. Wow, that's cool. So the next scene is uh, a long time at 7-Eleven. Well, I, I've never seen anyone that just stay at 7-Eleven for a half hour. I, I don't know what that was about. Mm-hmm. The fake um, scratches on the film, so overdone. So remember that movie, Brutal? Yeah. The Japanese movie that was like found footage handheld, and yeah. it's so handheld, and it's so shaky, and, and, the, and it has the fake 
the fake film scratches yeah. and you can almost after a while you see the pattern of fake film scratches right. that's running and it just becomes obnoxious loop. that's what this was like to me with the constant scratches and stuff which all stop at a certain point did you notice that that all stops at a certain point well, it's like oh, the, yeah. it's the new cast it's this, the, yeah, the, the new, new half right i don't know what that means but i guess i was just oh it's like they stitched together two movies they couldn't find the okay, original okay and that wow. brings me to other gags you have the changed title gag if you watch closely yeah. the movie this is called thunderbolts but then it, it quickly changes to death proof we've talked many times about these types of movies that get their titles changed for different markets for different double bills they'll just change the title willy-nilly we've seen tons of grindhouse movies we've talked about lots of grindhouse movies mm -hmm. we just didn't define them as such i mean it just means movies that were in sleazy theaters that showed a lot of horror movies and exploitation movies and often were double bills you know that's really all we're talking about here so uh another gag the missing reel the missing reel card comes up. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. I must be, you know, the whole thing, you touched on it, Dave, the whole thing of like doing a low budget, doing a tribute to low budget with a massive budget. I just, for me, rarely, uh, it rarely works because what I liked about those low budget movies, the gems that you find, part of it is the scrappy inventiveness of it. Part of it is doing something, managing to create something that's, has some timelessness to it that you can still appreciate and say, wow, I mean, they did this for nothing. They did this on passion, on heart, on just resourcefulness, you know? So to imitate that with a huge budget, I don't know. It's just not that interesting to me. Um, I liked the, the car chase scenes. That's great. Watch any Mad Max movie. Way, way better. Go right, go right back to Mad Max. The first one, watch Road Warrior, watch Fury Road. You'll get George Miller doing that stuff instead of having to slog through hours of Quentin Tarantino's worst dialogue. I mean, this is not Reservoir Dogs. You mentioned, Kevin, a strength of Tarantino's, a legendary strength being that banal dialogue, the mm -hmm. foot massages and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Do doesn't do it here. I don't know too much coke. I think these guys were high on themselves. And then Key and Rodriguez both were reaching for something that was just, I don't know, they came up with at the end of a long night. And... Mm -hmm. This is 25 extra minutes than you got in the theater. If you went and saw Grindhouse, it was a much shorter version of this. This, the, What we see now, they, they released them separately in international markets and separately on home video, and they added back 25 more minutes. That's why this is so long. It was only like 90 minutes when you went to see it. I would be... I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't be interested in seeing it because I've seen enough, but I wish I had seen that 90-minute cut. I think I probably... Would have liked it more if you got rid of 25 minutes of endless, pointless talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, How do you know what 25 they got rid of? Yeah. Big point. Um, so what I'm hearing here <laughs> is that you don't like it when women talk to each other too much when they're in a Tarantino film. Is that what? So this is your least if favorite Tarantino film. If it sucks. Because women talk the most together in <laughs> yes. this one. I legendarily yes. dislike films with women talking. That's what I, that's what <laughs> I, I really, heard. Yes, yes. But, if, you, if you look back, you'll find that I don't like women talking. Yeah, I, that's what that's, they say about you. Yeah. If I may, maybe that's because Quentin Tarantino doesn't really know how to write women talking probably that's and i get good. that listen i totally understand but if that they were men but i'm saying that it was the content of the conversation if they were men having these conversations i would have and and also the conversations are very like they're talking about the race car and they're talking about old geeky movie horror yeah. movies stuff like that it, it's still i just think it was bad dialogue i don't think I'm it's not, a matter of who is delivering it. absolutely i'm not saying it wasn't bad dialogue but do you think you disliked it more because he made it like very catty and like very much like women being like i don't like her she looks like a dirty hippie and no that. not at all you just don't think that it, no. i got that vibe though that it was written by a man that's what i'm saying yeah. so it's very i mean it was very much written by quentin tarantino i just thought it was a fun watch like i guess in my brain i'm just so used to men writing terrible dialogue for women that sometimes i guess i just push it to the back of my brain and i'm like oh but look her leg came off when the car hit her. That's fun. Can't we just have fun? That was I, fun. That I was like, one. I, that was one second. That, one second of fun. That's yes. what I'm saying. To yes. get there, it was not too much work. Yes, huh? I'm a I'm a fan of of the payoff, but holy I love hell. legs. Get, I love legs getting torn it off. Was, I mean, we talked about Eli Roth and Thanksgiving. Like Eli Roth is in this movie. He's in the movie. All the dialogue's terrible. It's not. It's, it's just the, the men's fact, dialogue is terrible. Oh, Kurt Russell's dialogue is unforgivably bad in this. Eli it's Roth, terrible. when he's talking, he's like, terrible. "Yeah, these bitches," and I'm like, "What? Why are you gonna say that?" Like that, Eli. You know, yeah. 
Huh? I mean, a lot of people talk like that. That's the thing. Okay, well, I, th- I think we should. Do you guys just, talk like that when I'm not in the room? Is it California? Should we ask our uh, expert California? Oh, <laughs> yes. Cali, what's up? Hey, what up? <laughs> whether I mean whether we find it you know enjoyable to watch, I think we should try to differentiate between the intent of a film and the portrayal of the world. I mean, there's. There's a lot of things that go on in the world that are portrayed in films. I don't like murdering children, but I love mo- a lot of movies where children are murdered. Mm-hmm. I don't think of them as being. <laughs> I, I don't think of the I'm films. Glass, I'm know. really glad that we took the opportunity I'm not to a clarify proponent, like, that. You know, I, say I don't, it slow. Yeah. Trent does not like I'm murdering children. Not I am a fan. He has to do it every once in a while, but he doesn't like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm against werewolves. I'm yeah. against vampires. Oh, I'm pro I'm werewolves personally. Yeah. I'll be, I tell you what, though, that I will, um, I will go in on, as they say, the fucking feet thing. It's so bad. So now this this is something that's always kind of annoyed me. Well, and he DP'd this. This is the only film that he was also the yeah, director of so photography. That, that's the thing. I've always found the topic of, of of Quentin Tarantino's supposed foot fetish. I've always found it kind of annoying because to me, in in his classic films. They're just kind of cool scenes. I never thought, like watching Pulp Fiction, that Uma Thurman, you know, the dance scenes, all the stuff. I just thought that it was people were reading too much into it. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Now, obviously, this movie really shows that the man is obsessed mm-hmm. with feet. I grew tired of it very quickly. There's so many. It's just um. it's throwing this weird thing i just hated it and i totally get it now he is obsessed with feet he should stop yeah. doing that or he's leaning into it i was as a joke yeah, i was gonna say right. he could be right. sitting at home that, laughing right now that, like no. yep but again but do we not if i one. may true do it's we true. not forget the from dusk till dawn scene oh, when yeah. he literally wrote a scene <laughs> in which he sucked uh, Selma Hayek's shrimp, toes. Right? Wait, yeah, it's shrimping? Shrimping. He was shrimping. And he t- took a drink, right? It went right down off, like her leg. Right down. down the toe. He's Bubba yeah. Gump. He likes all kinds of shrimp. Stop that. Yeah, well, it, it all came together for me here. I will indict the man mm. on too many feet in these movies. <laughs> but that's sure. the thing. Like, They do hit different. All these topics and all these situations and all this dialogue hits different when you know Quentin Tarantino and you've seen a bunch of his movies. I uh, wonder yeah. if this predated... This, Reservoir uh, Dogs, if we would love it. Well, I this don't, is no, 2007, no. so I, I think, I, I don't know not. if the joke came out before 2007. I don't think this was him leaning into it. I think everyone, like, after 2010 was like, oh, well, did you guys see that uh, Tarantino really likes feet? And then he was like, oh, I do like feet. You're right. Let me do from Once Upon a <laughs> Time in fine. Hollywood or I whatever. Mean, there's nothing wrong with liking feet. I, well, I, I don't like feet. <clears throat> I don't like my own feet. but <laughs> Feet are know. gross. We're getting a lot of what Trent doesn't like this week. I'm yeah. happy. Killing babies. Really, doesn't feet. like killing kids. Women talking feet. to each you, other. I, I don't like uh, zombies. Zombies. That, that is probably the lowest blow you've ever <laughs> levied oh, against uh, me. And I said that this movie it wasn't is so the tedious. Poop movie? The dialogue. <laughs> it was. And the way you came at him, too. Was just, you, had, you were like all... Listen, that's okay. I was the third pan in a row. I know yeah. what it's like in the hot seat. Listen, I'm Everybody's not allowed to not like my picks anymore, so I have to ah, commit yeah, to the picks. Oh, that's okay? good. So, I think, I think you, you nailed it earlier, though. <laughs> I think you nailed it earlier, Cat, when you said, look, sometimes we watch these movies for the pod and they suffer because of it. And I've seen Death Proof a whole bunch and I never looked at it through like this lens. Mm. And so I bet I probably, you know, all I know that I didn't have problems with it prior. Mm. I did just probably throw it on and, and watch it. But I also don't know if I saw like the 90 minute version or this like monstrosity. Uh, yeah, but th- this is definitely did suffer from having the magnifying lens of Speak All Evil on it. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest that I did start this movie like nine times. I had to keep going back because I would fall. Asleep. Well, the movie itself does that. So <laughs> I did and fall so, asleep. Once and like when I, I watched that's this the, movie. one of the main reasons that I had to cancel on Wednesday was because I was like, I'm not going to be able to get through this fucking movie <laughs> and then be able to get on this call and do all this. But I, I think if someone had asked me at a party like a week ago. Uh, hey, have you seen Death Proof? And I would be like, yeah, I like that movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah, My memory exactly. of it was just like I had a fun time in the theater or whatever when I saw it. But analyzing it like with the rest of his work and really diving in, uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I had never seen it. And without analysts of any kind, it just I thought it was terrible. I don't, I don't think it's because... 
of anything other than it's just a bad movie. I did dig up a, an interview with Quentin Tarantino from 2014 where he called it his worst film, oh. and he said that if he said if Death Proof is my worst film, and it has to be. I can't. I can't make another movie that bad. If that's my only stinker, then I'm comfortable. If I make ten, if I make one more, because you know he's going to make one more movie or whatever, he said, if that's my worst, then I can live with that. So well, I don't. I don't think it's us. It's me. Cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, I got it now. I'm now I have to commit to my picks, whether I like them or not. Yeah. I'm, 30, I'm gonna be 32. Happy birthday, cat. No, don't stop. <laughs> That's not why I said it. Yay. Uh, what, what year is it now? Okay. <laughs> Next up <laughs> on uh, You Go Girl Week. <laughs> um, Spice good, Girls Week. On Good For Her Week. Good for her. Hey, good for her. We're going to talk about uh, 2022's Pearl. In rural Texas in 1918, Pearl, an ambitious young farm girl obsessed with dancing in the movie industry, can't wait to spread her wings and leave the nest to make a name for herself. Instead, she is trapped in an isolated farmhouse, living under the same roof with her punishing, disapproving German mother Ruth and her infirm, wheelchair-using father. More than anything... Pearl wants to be like the pretty girls in the picture and not end up like her mother. However, as the romantic dream of glamorous movie-like life fades, chronic frustration, violent tendencies, and pent-up emotions pour forth. When you're simmering with rage, how do you deal with not getting what you want? I love this one, obviously. Pearl is my new favorite character. And even though her voice in real life reminds me of a haunted Cockney doll, I really do <laughs> love Mia Khan. <laughs> uh, this is a movie where you start off feeling empathy and sympathy for this poor girl and her situation. And then you're just jolted with parts of, oh shit, maybe not. But then it keeps going like back and forth and back and forth until you're just like, well, fuck, nope, she's a, uh, yep, she's something. And it's funny because I kept forgetting that she would eventually become this character in X. Like in my brain, I was just like, oh, it's like, oh, you know, it's just it's its own movie. Uh, but then she'd be like, Howard. And I was like, oh, yep, yep, that's her. But it's also kind of a bummer at times because, you know, this once you, you know, think about X, you know, like this girl's fate. And she's obviously never going to make it to the big city. Um, she's just going to be hanging out with her little alligator uh, for the rest of her days. What was the alligator's name? The- Theta? Theta, something like that? Yeah, Theta. Love her. The last half of the film is when it just turns bonkers. Um, it shows the psychopathy of our, our dear little Pearl. Uh, there's a moment when her mom is like, you basically just can't leave the farm because you're going to murder people. Like Everyone knows that she's insane. And in that moment, you're kind of realizing this isn't like a mental break from like the pressures of her life. She's absolutely a psychopath. Um, and I think that's what makes her a very important horror villain, one of my favorite lady horror villains for sure, and Goth just does it so, so well. She seems legitimately unhinged, maybe in real life, and I could watch her all day. As the film itself goes, the colors are just beautiful, the soundtrack is dreamy, the story is very interesting in itself, and it you know, starts off with like people in masks like going around and you're like, oh, it's because it's like the Spanish flu. And so you're like, oh, we did that that one time. Story is really interesting. It just keeps your attention perfectly placed, uh, perfectly paced, beautifully done. A great prequel and second installment in the X trilogy. <sighs> I love Pearl. This is great. I really enjoyed seeing this again. I was um, a little underwhelmed the first time, so I was really happy to revisit Coming off X, I was just so excited the first time I saw Pearl. I went to the theater. I just was so excited for X Part 2, and it's not that at all. Entirely <laughs> different movie. It, it's I don't even know how helpful it is to think of the movies as related. They are, but they're just they're totally different films. And I think it speaks to the brilliance of Ty West that he was able to make this afterthought. To the movie X, it looks amazing. Mia Goth is just 
she's out of this world. It's just, it's nuts what she can do and what she chooses to do. I love her. <laughs> I love her taste. She does all these movies that I love. She's just bonkers. Um, the only thing I guess it would be missing is there's there's not a lot of mystery because y- you know who you're dealing with and mm-hmm. you kind of know what's going to happen, but it doesn't matter because it's so entertaining. The score, amazing. I mean, it nailed that whole Mary Poppins old Technicolor movie right down to that score, which is so great. I mean, there were scenes where just the score had me on edge or, you know, I, I was in suspense just from the music alone. Uh, I thought it was very, very funny. Um, really, really good. This is on Showtime right now. If you haven't seen Pearl, it was, it was interesting. Also, I watched X again too. So now they're, they're both, it's interesting watching in different orders. Like when you first, when I first saw Pearl, you're like, oh my God, there's alligator. And then now when I watch X, it's like I'm seeing, oh, that's the alligator from Pearl kind of switches everything around and you can see a little bit of the interplay Stuff that you wouldn't have picked up on when you watched X with with Pearl's character. You're seeing the character in a totally different way in that movie. So it was, it was a little bit interesting now to, to revisit both of them. Uh, but this is a great one. I highly recommend Pearl, of course. I love Pearl. I like the idea that there was a franchise starting from like a location uh, and kind of like, you know, because it was yeah. weird because you you have her playing a different role in the prequel uh, and it gets a little confusing, but I, I like that they took that liberty and they went there. But it's not going to be a franchise of a setting because, like Amityville or something like that, because Maxine, she's going to Los Angeles. Shout Ooh. out Callie. Um, <laughs> wow, really? Uh, really Cali, Dave's but, Callie week. But I liked, I liked how they did the house differently. Uh, in, in the same setting, you know, you have like brighter wallpaper and everything's a little like it's better lit in, in X. Everything is super, super dark. And, you know, you, you have to love a girl with a, a pet alligator. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I really like the, the part where she scares off the guy by talking about all her performances she does for all the <laughs> farm animals. Uh <laughs> She's done so many shows for the <laughs> and you see him starting to squirm. Like uh, I feel like I could reveal something like that about myself that would make somebody. There's squirm. always that moment in the date. You, know, <laughs> right? you find yeah. out about the barnyard shows. <laughs> right. The part. Try, is that something you also don't like? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Another thing. Yes. Although I I, I dream of of you know uh, uh, this kind of woman uh, this small town. Connie and I always make fun of this is almost like those folk songs where they, whenever you hear a guy's like a songwriter and you dig into his catalog, he always has one song. It's about a small town girl that's not smart enough for the city and so gets true. eaten alive. It almost reminds me of that. But uh, I love her hissy fits and her temper tantrums. And I, I find them very relatable. <laughs> and I like <laughs> I like just how ugly she will get. She transforms from like doll like you know, pouty lip, Hi. Little, little high voice, and then to just like a monster. Same in an infinity pool, but she can do no wrong. She's like the ultimate scream queen. Her last name's Goth, for Christ's sake. Yeah, really. I, I mean, mean, she's hard as fuck. Come on, she's with Sheila Booth. <laughs> I mean. Oh, forgot about that. Well, it's interesting. Trent really made me think about the other side of the coin when it comes to Pearl. And a first watch, because I very naively assumed that because X was so fucking awesome that everybody would go into Pearl and be like, this rules. Because I did. Yeah. I mean, Ty West could have taken a dump on a camera and I would have been, I was so enamored with X that I would have been like, yes. (laughs) And I'd never thought about the fact that there could be a letdown. I mean, classic Ty West, all of his films are very different. They're and it all just, different. It's even There's, more mind-blowing yeah. now that he's yeah. like, well, fuck it, I'll do a trilogy, and I'll just make them all wildly different. Yeah. But I'll put you in the same universe. <clears throat> so I really also enjoyed revisiting Pearl and did the same thing. I watched Pearl and then X. I never got to catch Pearl in the theaters. So when it, the second that it hit like uh, VOD, I bought it. So I own both X and Pearl. They are at my beck and call whenever I want to watch them. Mm. Uh, and I loved it even more this time. For that reason, a lot of the things you talk about, Trent, where it does flip itself on its head, I absolutely love that. Yeah. Like, And I think I appreciate Pearl even more 
because I did get lost in the story, in the setting, in Goth's performance, even though I know how this ends. Yeah. This yeah. is, you know, this is Journey, Don't Stop matter. Believing. This is Poison, <laughs> Fallen Angel, uh, Welcome to the Jungle, you know, whatever's going to happen in Maxine. We already kind of know how this part of the story ends, which is an interesting take. And just knowing that this all came about because Goth and West were quarantining in New Zealand and they were just doing like a simple backstory to kind of help before they shot X. And then they were like, wait, this could be something. So we all knew that. We talked about it after we had seen X and, and some of the cool stories about the origin of this started coming out. I didn't realize that he had like nicked the, uh, the crew of Avatar. <laughs> the most recent Avatar movies crew was just chilling in New Zealand after filming or on a break or some shit. And the West was just like, A24, by the way, I ha we have this other idea. Me, Goth, and I are going to hang out. Uh, and this, by the way, the Avatar crew needs something to do. But yeah, every, everything, like all the nods to X, which is very easy to do, I think, if you're in that real creative space where you're making a universe, uh, despite how different the, the two films are. Really love that. Uh, and again, it just, uh, to, to kind of compare it to Death Proof and bring the two movies together, we're shit, we spent a lot of time shitting on Tarantino's very long, belaboring dialogue scenes. There is a scene that Mia Goth does at the end of this movie that's oh, eight man. minutes long. So good. And it is, that is how you do a fucking dialogue. You know yeah. what, Kat? I liked watching you that. You can't look away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, take God. that, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> best part of the movie, oh. eight-minute monologue. Kat Se hates when men like women talk. Movie, <laughs> the best part of the movie is, is when it's supposed to end and it just focuses on Mia Goth's face not talking for three minutes. Oh, my God. That, that is just scene... But yeah, to kind of bring amazing. like both movies together, uh, I forgot about that particular scene near the end of the movie. I think Kat, that's sort of the breaking point where you can no longer uh, make any excuses no. for mm -mm. Pearl. That's when you're just like, oh, damn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> poor, and probably the only time in your life you're going to feel bad for somebody named fucking Mitzi. Yeah, poor Mitzi. <laughs> yeah, because before then, it's just like, okay, well, she like, you know, her parents, I guess, like kept her in this house. Like, you know, she must have snapped. But then she's like, did you get the part? <laughs> and it's like, oh, that no. That heartbreaking. Yeah. The uh, way she has to try to back out, her sister-in-law has to try to back out after that mm -hmm. monologue is so funny and oh. awkward and awful. I really liked the sister-in-law character. She was the nicest little rich girl. You know, she has this, her crazy sister-in-law, Pearl. She goes and sees her and hangs out with her and she'll be her friend and try to help her out. You know, and really just a sweet, sweet all-American girl. The only part I thought they could have improved on or, or added to is Howard's backstory a little bit. Mm. I mean, he's at war, so you could have shown him because uh, he was evil too in X, you know? Mm -hmm. So, well, I know there's so long not, between the stories that's like. You could have shown him at, actually at war, like bayoneting someone in the fucking skull or something, you know, just to establish that when he gets home, because that's well, the ending is a little open ended. You know what I mean? Like, as far as his reaction to all of it. And and you get the answers a hundred years later. Yeah. yeah That's right. kind of the funny. There's well, a hundred years missing between the two movies. What and, the hell happened in the interim? Well, they do kind of, I mean, I guess she kind of talks on it, like, during her monologue, which she's like, you know, Howard comes from money. I've been stuck on the farm this whole time. And he's like, no, you know what? When I come back, we're staying on this farm. Yeah. And she's like... Why? You on like, the farm what the fuck? More. So I, I guess that's like the most evil part about him is being like, not really understanding. Like, I feel like if he came back to not what she created to just like normal farm life, after a while he'd be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we should actually um, not do this. But because she just thought that was going to be her life for you know the forever future, which it kind of ended up being, she obviously went a little. Crazy pants. Yeah, I don't think you get a lot of Howard backstory, but I think what you understand is if if he came home to that and then in nineteen eighteen or whenever, and then in like nineteen seventy or seventy eight or nine, whenever X takes place, he obviously made a decision back then 
that, all right, well, she just did all this, and we are going to stay on the farm. So you kind of get an understanding of why he is, quote-unquote, evil in acts. He really, he just made a choice, and he's going to protect this woman no matter what, and they're going to stay on the farm. And I think it became less about staying on the farm and having this like idyllic farm life and more like, I need to keep my crazy wife away from the rest of society. If I, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's how I took I felt like he came home, found what he found, and just decided that he was going to go with it. If I came home from <laughs> tour and found Mia Goth had done that, I, we could work it out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was a particularly good speech by Pearl's mom in this too. She gives that whole speech back mm. to Pearl about you think you're the only one with broken dreams and all that. I'm on this farm too. And I'm wiping the ass of the man I married. And this is whole, my whole life is milking the cows, wiping his ass. So don't cry to me about, you know, you didn't get what you wanted out of life. Uh, and, and Mia Goth or Pearl comes back to that later where she, I love the scene where she says, Something like, you know, she doesn't think about what she doesn't have anymore. She just makes the best of what she's got. Mm. You know? I thought it was really good. And also, you know, when we're lauding Mia Goth, we shouldn't forget she was a co-writer on the film. Mm -hmm. And also, I think this the existence of this movie is another tribute to A24. We talk about all the time. I, I listened to an interview with Ty West. He was on the Postmortem podcast. Great podcast with Mick Garris. It's ending. Yeah. Um, but there was a great episode with Ty West from After X came out before Pearl. And he was saying he couldn't believe, he, he was like, there's no other studio in the world that I could have called them and said, hey, we got an idea for a prequel. We're going to stay, want to stay and do that. And they just said, yep, go for it. So a lot of credit to go around for the, I think it's kind of a, a minor miracle that the movie exists and I just am so impressed with Ty West uh, and everyone involved for, for making this movie happen. It's just such a weird little anomaly. And then to have uh, uh, another one coming hopefully next year. Well, I, I feel like the things that we're plotting this movie for are things that we faulted the last one for. Because it is very stylized. It takes, yes. But it takes place. In, yeah. It's honest. In both X and this. It's 1979 or yes. it's the 50s or whatever. And it's uh, a lot of dialogue. Yeah, and it's not uh, done so over the top that it looks like they just came from you know a costume shop. Mm -hmm. It it's very tasteful. I wonder if the person who did like the all the costume and that stuff in the in the sets were the same as X because yeah, the consistency question. is very good. It's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, well, they were working on the same set. So I mean, it's the right. same house. Like it's well, not right. like somebody had to come in and be like, "Hey, can you recreate that house we just but shot thirty years earlier like, or whatever?" You know, yes, I, yeah, so. 50, 60 years. I, I, one of the things that's the best about this movie is uh, the the surreal scenes when Pearl really gets lost in her mind. Yeah, there's some that are like <laughs> that are very innocent and sort of hopeful. There are some that are very horny, like the Scarecrow. Mm. Uh, you know, that's something that does kind of run through this. I mean, X obviously is about a porn shoot, so <clears throat> you're gonna have some some horny there. I mean, this goes all the way back and just shows you Pearl's got some feelings. Well, and you get the the birth of porn, the dawn of porn. We go from the, the 1970s, the birth of VHS, and that's what they're trying to cash in on and be the next Debbie Does Dallas. This goes all the way back to uh, yeah. movies that, as soon as he says movies I got in France and uh, in the war, as soon as he said <laughs> I brought back some movies from France, I knew what they were going to be mm -hmm. and like super old black and white silent porn. That's like, allegedly... this is going to be the next thing. People are going to be able to see what they want to see. Yeah, that's debated as like the like the first porn film or something ever like oh, that the, particular movie oh, really? that he shows is oh, supposed to, really it's got like a debatable backstory but oh, it's supposed okay. to be like the first example of like pornography or something I didn't even or think that, of that level or, or that's some real shit. Huh. Well, you, well, you um, can tell that they must have when they made X they must have been riffing on all these characters and they must have been yeah. like you're like oh maybe this and then and that this idea is is based on that excitement you know and that enthusiasm for making that movie so it makes you kind of like want to like it a little bit more. But I think for what I would, the point I was making with the surrealism, some of those scenes, uh, the scene when she finally gets to go audition, because she is in a very small town, her dreams are huge, there's not a lot of opportunity to do what she wants to do, and there happens to be a dance troupe audition that's coming through her town, and a lot of the buildup of the movie is her making it to this audition. That entire sequence, again, pretty long but it's so unbelievably well done uh she does the audition she doesn't get the part 
Um, and that extended like reaction that she gives to not getting the part yeah. is like, <laughs> Yeah. Holy crap, like super uncomfortable. I mean, but you know, like when that scene starts or even when the when the dance troupe uh, audition comes up, you know she doesn't get the part if you've right. seen X. Right. Doesn't matter, still yes. works. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's all through the movie. There's no suspense. You know everything that's going to happen, but it manages to be entertaining and compelling anyway. That's pretty amazing. I mean, I have a hard time thinking if you have this progression of porn how I mean, are they just not going to put out magazine and be like, "Yeah, it's just boogie nights." It's just, it's just <laughs> yeah. boogie nights. Yeah, we decided not to put it out. Uh, it's just boogie nights, because that, that's what I imagine it is going to be. Yeah, that's a good well, point. I yeah. liked well, boogie nights. We'll see. I love watch it again. boogie the thing, nights. You never know with Ty West. I mean, if we want to go never, into like it, hypothesizing about Maxine, you never know. I mean, we never would have guessed think, what Pearl would be. I think mm-hmm. we no, you wouldn't yeah. have. And we talked about how X is the well, it is a flat out traditional horror movie. Yeah. Uh despite how he took a lot of like, you know, tropes and turned them into very a very original movie, that's the that's the most horror we ever got from Ty West. Yeah. A lot of his movies <clears throat> are build-ups or very suspenseful. Uh I mean, we've had Not really we've known co- for um, We've covered a lot of them on the show yeah, and had yeah. very different takes on yeah. on a lot of Ty West movies. So, I am curious. You do not know what you're going to get with Maxine. We could sit here and hypothesize for days, and I guarantee you we're not close to what what he gives us. That final shot that you mentioned, Kevin, of Pearl's face, I just read an interview with Ty West, and he was talking about that shot. It made me watch it differently when I went back to watch Pearl again. That was supposed to be a freeze frame. Initially, it was the idea she was going to give that maniacal, crazy, half-crying grin, and he was going to freeze it, and at the last minute was like, why don't you actually... Hold that for as long as you can. Well, I'm he just, just didn't say rolling. cut. Yeah, never cut it. He just didn't say cut. And that was the one take. That was it. They did that. It was almost three minutes or something. And she held it and held it and held it and starts crying. And he said, okay, that's it. And, and that's what you see. They didn't try it again. That was just a spontaneous thing. And it's just incredible. It makes me a little afraid of Mia Goth, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> it reminded me, too, of a wounded fawn. When we yes, talked to Josh right, Rubin yeah. about a wounded fawn, and there's yeah. that whole end sequence, and we asked him about that, like, "Hey, yeah. how did that come about? Uh, you know, was that organic?" Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, we're we're watching it now. Uh, that is, I mean, the tear that comes out is literally just from her straining to hold that <laughs> for as not long blinking. as you do. Yeah, yeah, you can't fake that shit. Although, I mean, we've already Crazy. Mia Goth could fake that shit. It's nice <laughs> to know she didn't in this instance, but I think we know she could pull off just about anything at this point. Yeah, (laughs) she's crazy. I think I'm going to make that my phone background. Well, Dave opened up his laptop tonight, and that was was your your (laughs) entire laptop screen. (laughs) Like, oh, hi. Next week, I think what we need next week is some good old-fashioned early 80s horror. Oh, boy. I just saw a great one that I'm not sure I'd ever seen called The Beast Within. Ooh. From 1982. It's on Tubi right now. There's a couple VOD spots. Also going to talk about a movie from 1980 called Don't Go in the House. Oh. (laughs) Another free one on Tubi or VOD. Guys, it's free traditional horror week. It's Tubi week.